We're going to be in a number of places here this morning in the Word of God before we get over to the Gospel of Mark. But there was a traveling salesman who was in a big hurry. He needed to get to a place, and as he was traveling around, he came to a place that a storm had come through, dumped a lot of rain, washed out the bridge, and the water and the, uh, the river was still very high. So he parked his 4x4 right up to the edge of it, looked out over the water, was wondering, what should I do? I need to get to the other side of this. And he saw one of the locals standing there by the, by the side. They were on, uh, kind of on a plank that was, that was there, and kind of a short guy. Went over to him, he says, uh, do you live, you live around here, or are you, uh, you local? And they said, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I live around here. He says, do you think I can drive my car through here? And, and the man says, well, I don't see why you couldn't. I could walk across it if I wanted to. And so he decided to do that, so he drove his 4x4 Jeep out into the river and plunged deep into the water and sank. And he got out and got to the shore and he says, why did you do that? Why did you send me into the water? It had to be at least 20 feet deep. And he says, well, I don't understand that. He says, it only comes up to the top of the legs of the ducks. Sometimes when we evaluate the, when we, we evaluate the danger that's involved in something, we don't quite understand the depth of what is there. We don't quite understand how problem, how much of a problem is there. We're looking out there and we see ducks swimming on the, on the thing. And we think, oh, there's not much, much there. But there's, there's a lot more to it. If you're up there on Facebook here this morning, we gave you a little, uh, uh, little uh, tease as to what was going on. There are three places for which attacks come. If you go through all the Word of God, there are three places from which attacks come. Each place that an attack comes requires a different defense. And each defense is listed in the Word of God as to what it is. Each one. There are three places from where it comes. You can find anything else. It's going to come down to one of three sources. If you are going to properly defend yourself, you must first off figure out where is the attack coming from. Because where the attack comes from will tell you what to do. That a lot of times the Christians are facing problems in their life simply because we're applying the wrong defense. We're not quite doing the thing, the, the thing that we ought to be doing. I don't know if I put this in your... Did I, did I leave this in your outline for you? Attacks on the things we do for God, His kingdom, or the blessings we receive from Him come from one of three realms. Whatever you receive from God, Whatever God has given you as a commission to do, you are going to be attacked on it. Find out where those, those attacks come from. Last time we were here, we were looking at wrong submission. We saw that Dathan and Abiram were submitted, but they were submitted to the wrong things. And that brought a problem with them. Korah was submitted to himself, his own beliefs, and his own desires. That's going to get you into a problem. We talked a whole lot about time. And we talked a lot about, uh, in times past, we, we've talked about money. And, but last time we were talking a lot about time, you know, being on time for things and, and such things like, like this. Um, I try to put a post up on Facebook. How many people do not see the, po the post we put up on Facebook? Don't see it. All right. You need to get on to Facebook and you need to, you need to get a hold of those things. We do a lot of clarifications on things after Sunday. Sometimes I get some questions. We'll put some stuff up there. We get some things up there to get you ready. You do not have to be a member of Facebook in order to see it. All you have to do is go up to Facebook and go to the church page, and you can see it. You just can't make a comment. I'd love for you to be able to make comments, but you can't make a comment, but you can see it. 
You do not have to be a member to see what we put up there on Facebook. If you want to find it, go to the church website. There's a little marquee that says Facebook. Click on that. takes you right there. You can see the latest post that we put up on there. So you can see what's, whatever's going on. I put a whole lot of uh, 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 things up there on Facebook. I got the same interaction from about the same number of people. I'd like to see some new people get up there and, and to do some things. This is a place we can interact and do some things during the week and love to be able to, to see some of that going on. Anyway, we're going to take a look at these three realms here today. I'm sure that these are not going to be anything new to you, but it may be a new way to look at this, this whole situation, this thing going on. In the three realms, the first realm that you will find an attack that comes, comes upon you is from Satan's kingdom. That's probably the most obvious. It's probably the one that most people attribute to. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, 26, if Satan, case, if, if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? That's the number one place. Now, I didn't finish this thought, but as we were talking about last, remember last time we were talking a lot about time? And uh, I tried to put this clarification up on Facebook to, to help some of you folks out. Uh, time is not a big issue with God. We serve an eternal God who is in the past, the present, and the future. You think he cares one bit about time. He does not. Time is nothing to him. He says, I'm going to be back soon, and we're still waiting 2,000 years later. <laughs> Have any of y'all know, this, this is not a God who has a time problem. There are two things we know from the Word of God that he values very little. One is money. This is the guy who paves the streets with gold, carves gates out of pearls. He does not care about money. He also has very little concern about time. But this is what he does with money and with time. He tests us with it. Let's see how good you are with the things I don't consider to be valuable before I put what is valuable in your hands. If we cannot handle money and we cannot handle time, why would God give us anything more important? There are things God considers to be important. Money and time are not. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. Moses makes a mistake and loses 40 years. Well, he didn't really lose it. It wasn't in God's plan. Yes, it was. God's plan was 400 years they were going to be in captivity. How long were they there? 430. 30 years longer than God said. Why? Because of something that Moses did. Think about that. Did God get bugged by it? God, you're 30 years late. Yeah. Well. <laughs> God is not bugged by time. But if we do not learn how to function in it and how to honor it, we're going to have a problem. Anyway, let's get back into this. Not every attack comes from Satan or those in his kingdom. There's a whole lot of Christians out there saying, well, the devil's attacking me this week. Well, the devil's doing this to me this week. Well, the devil's doing this. Let me tell you what. It is very unlikely that what you are doing is even on the map of the devil. Just, get, just understand it. It's very unlikely that what you're doing is even on the devil's map. He has a much... And, and now, there might be some of his kingdom. I don't know that any of us here have ever attracted the attention of Satan. There have been people who have attracted the attention of Satan. Jesus was one of them. Paul was another one of them. Uh, Peter was one. There are people who have attracted the attention of Satan. I am pretty sure I never have. But we sometimes attract his attention from his kingdom and from those in the kingdom. 
But still, there's a lot of times that we are putting things under the guise of Satan's kingdom is attacking me when it is not. If you put something under uh, in your life as an attack of Satan and approach it as such, and it is not, your defense will be useless. Because what you defend against... It, well, I'll give it to you this. How many of you ever played, played rock, paper, scissors? You all know that if you put the wrong thing out, it may not be able to defend against something else. But uh, Now, I have no idea what paper does to rock. I, <laughs> I really don't know. I think that rock's going to be completely intact. What's it? Yeah, I know that. But you can take all the paper you want out there. It's not touching a rock. I mean, in reality, right? I understand that a rock can break a scissor. I, I, I can get my, my head around. I can get my head around that a scissor will cut paper. I can understand that. I cannot see any damage that paper can do to rock. But anyway, that's how the game goes. And you know, it depends upon what you put out there. If you put out the wrong defense, then you're done. It's the same way in the kingdom of God. You need to know what it is that you're up against and come at it in the right way. Because there's too many people that think it's, it's uh, Satan or his kingdom. What does the Word of God tell us we do when it is Satan and his kingdom? Well, if we're going to defend against Satan and his kingdom, it's basically resist, uh, submit, resist, and he will flee, right? Submit, resist, and he will flee. That only works against Satan and his kingdom. It does not work against the other two realms. If you only work on submit, resist, you will fail in the other two realms. This is good for this realm. Now, every once in a while, you will find an attack that comes from two different realms. Maybe even three. But most of the time, it's centered into one. And you need to find out which one is it coming at me from so that I can attain the victory <coughs> on this. <clears throat> the substance of attacks that come from Satan's kingdom are deception and wrong thinking. This is the substance of most... Not, not, we're, we're giving summaries here. There are other things you can get into, but most of what he is going to throw at people deal with deception and wrong thinking. That's where most of it comes from. Well, what about sickness and disease? Well, sickness and disease generally starts in wrong thinking, doesn't it? People become afraid of a certain condition, afraid of something coming upon them. And then it usually follows up where it comes upon them. So that's the substance of anything from the Satan's kingdom, deception and wrong thinking. Here is the second one, the world system. The world system is not Satan's kingdom. The world system is different. There is the world system and there is Satan's kingdom. Now, sometimes Satan's kingdom fires up the world system. But it's still different. And here's a problem. Satan cannot control the world system. Satan's goal has been to get a, um, a world empire that dominates the world and eradicates Christianity. He has done a world empire a number of times. The Word of God prophesied, predicted that these would come. And it is even in there. There is another world kingdom that tried to come up and tried to do a lot of destructive, destructive things. If you knew the word of God, you knew it didn't have a shot at coming up. But there are a lot of people who didn't know the word of God and became afraid of it. Hitler was over Germany and came very close to being a world-dominating power. 
But here was the problem. Hitler didn't follow his own timetable. And he got a little bit out ahead of himself and began to think he could do more than he could. Got a, got a fight on two different fronts and couldn't support it. If he didn't do all those things, if he didn't get ahead of himself, in the natural, apart from God being involved, in the natural, Germany would have taken over. They were that much more advanced than tanks. They were that much more advanced than planes. They were that much more advanced than warfare. But they split up their armies too much. They were on the eastern front. They were on the western front. And that... Uh, it didn't go so well for them at, at that. But there's the world system. In Matthew 13, verse 8, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. Whenever, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Where is that attack coming from? Satan and his kingdom, right? The wicked one comes and snatches it away. That's a direct attack from, from Satan and his kingdom. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Right? All right. When Jesus talks about persecution, where does he say persecution will come from? The world. The world will hate you because of my word. The world will hate you because of my word. The word of God that is on the inside of you stirs up the world against you. We see that a lot here today. How much are we seeing in, against uh, Christian organizations and the stands that they are making? A Muslim nation, a Muslim group can make the same stand and there's no opposition. It's just the Christian ones that are opposed. You can be a Muslim business and you can do the same things that the Christian business was going to do, but the Christian business will be sued and closed down and the Muslim business is allowed to go on. Why? Because the world system is stirred up against the church, against the word. Don't let it surprise you. This is where the attack comes from. The world will persecute you because of the word. The purpose is to get rid of the word from you. The first attack is to try and snatch it out. Fill you with thoughts of doubt. Fill you with things to, to get you to, to uh, doubt it. To um, distrust it. We talk about the shield of faith. Right? What is the shield of faith good for? As an armor. Take with you the shield of faith whereby you may quench most of the fiery darts of the enemy. All the fiery darts of the enemy. So, when you combat the enemy, your defensive position is the shield of faith. When the devil comes at you, he is throwing fiery darts. Don't wonder what fiery darts are. Fiery darts are thoughts, things that rise up against the Word. And your faith stops them. But when the thoughts get in, it erodes your faith. You become distrustful of God. You begin to not believe in God, and now the fiery darts are able to get through. If that attack doesn't work, we then work through the world system and try through pressure to get you to give in, tribulation to get you to stop, or to get you to shut up. Paul talked about a messenger from Satan. That's someone from Satan's kingdom. 
But he also talked about the tribulation, the beatings, the persecution. Where did that come from? The world system. So he's facing the battle from the, the enemy. He's facing the battle from the world system. But each one is different. If the only way that you battle the world system is through submission and resistance, you will fail. Because submission and resistance is not given to you to cause the world system to flee. It is given to you to cause the enemy to flee. So you cannot cause the world system to flee if you use the wrong tool, the wrong defense. You've got to use the right thing. How many of y'all know when you were in the kitchen, having the right tool? Oh, man, does it help out. If you've got a can of tuna fish and you're trying to open it up and you do not have a can opener, how many of y'all know you can do it, but it's not easy? I have opened a can of tuna fish without a can opener. I did not enjoy it. And the can suffered greatly. There's a lot of suffering that went on with that can. But, you know, if you have a can opener, it just helps out to drain the tuna fish because you've got that nice lid that you can just kind of press in there and get rid of all that, uh, whatever they put into, into the thing, unless you have that new fangled uh, can opener that opens it up on the side. Get rid of them suckers. Who in the world came up for that? I think that came from the pit of hell. I'm, I'm convinced of that. You open it up with that, and you try and do the old trick, you know, pushing the lid against the tuna fish to get all the stuff. It don't come out. You can't do it. So then when you make up your tuna fish, you got all that extra oil or water or whatever it is in there. It dilutes the mayonnaise. And then it's just, it's, it's just not functional. My wife, we commissioned her going out and find us a normal one. She found us a normal one. Glory to God, we can open up tuna fish and cans of soup and whatever else that we have to do the way that you, you should be able to do. But there's other ways to do it. How many have ever, how many have ever come up with another way beside a can opener to open up a, a can? Yeah, it isn't fun, is it? It can be done. It sure is right. I saw somebody on, I think it was YouTube, so that showed how you can open up a can, uh, any kind of a can, with a rock. Yeah, look it up sometime. You want some fun? Go up there and find out how you can open up a uh, can with a rock. And I don't mean bang it on there until it just gives in. And <laughs> no, we're not talking about that. It was, it was quite interesting. I had never seen that before. But uh, anyway, you can go in there and check that out if you want to. But here's the second thing. They received it in the, the stony places. The word didn't get to be down, rooted down the inside. And persecution came out. See, this is what happens if we don't put our attention to the word of God. The word of God doesn't get rooted down on the inside of us. When it doesn't get rooted down on the inside, people come along and begin to pressure us. Tribulation comes along and gets us to stop. And then we have success there. Where do we leave off at? Verse 21. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and cares of this world. The seedfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on, the gr- on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit, produces some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Just wanted to read that for you. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. In John chapter 16, verse 33, still in the world system. The things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James 4, 4. 
adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's the wrong system, folks. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to what? To this world. How do you get something to conform? I may remember Silly Putty. Do they still make that? All right. Silly Putty, back when we used to get a paper. I don't remember the last time we got a paper. But when we used to get a paper, and, you know, the Sunday paper had comics, but they were colored. The rest of the week it was black and white. But you could take that Silly Putty. I don't know why we did this, but we did this. We took the Silly Putty and pressed it onto the comic, and the comic would come up on the Silly Putty, and you'd have a, a... Two copies of the, the comic. I don't know what you're supposed to do with it, but you had it. So, you know, we would do that as play the... But how did it conform to that image? How did you take Play-Doh and get it to take a shape? Pressure. Pressure is what you do. When pressure is applied, it conforms to the mold that you're putting it into. But it needs that pressure. So the world exerts the pressure and gives you the form of what you're supposed to do. You won't speak against this. You will believe this. You will allow this. And that pressure comes in. And if you resist it, you resist the world. And all that comes against you. Now, you can win as a Christian, but not if all you do is submit and resist. It's good that you do that. But that's to fight the enemy's kingdom. Now you're fighting the world system. So how do we fight the the world system? Well, we're going to get into that. But here's the substance of this. Conformity and pressure. Conformity and pressure. This is the substance of the world system. Here's the third one. And the parable got into this. The third one is our flesh. That's the, that's the third area of, of where attacks come from. How many of y'all know you got a flesh? Now he who, verse 22, back in our parable. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. The things of this world, the things that this world says you ought to have, the thing that my desire comes up and says, I want, I want this car, I want this job, I want this stuff, I want this kind of a house. And our flesh rises up and says, I want this. Why do most people go on diets? Because their flesh rose up and decided to eat stuff that they knew they probably shouldn't. That's not all people, but that's, that's, a, that's a lot of it. Now the world will come along. Don't give in to this sort of stuff. The world will come along and tell you how much you should weigh. That's garbage. That is absolute pure garbage. The world has no idea how much you should weigh. You should weigh what your body is comfortable at. For some people, that's more. For some people, that's less. Now, just because, you know, I, I go around, most of the time, I, I, I'm not battling, I don't know if I've ever battled weight. Did a little bit. My dad used to tell me all the time when I was growing up, said this to me over and over and over. Steve, I was just like you. And then all of a sudden, when I hit, and I forget what age it was, when I hit this age, I just, I just blew up. Now, most of the folks you saw my dad, he had already lost quite a bit of weight. 
uh, at that point. But um, he, had, he had gotten quite large. And he would tell me about it. You better watch it because it's going to happen. And so for most of the time, I was a cross-country runner. I was running. We did not have any weight concerns as a cross-country runner. They gave me a formula. They had a formula for this. And they said, uh, the ideal weight for someone who runs cross-country. I'm not talking track. Track is a whole different animal. A person who runs cross-country, a person who runs distance. The ideal weight is two pounds per inch. For what uh, my height was, that came out to 144 pounds. I weighed 145. But when I started cross-country, I weighed 137. I gained weight running cross-country. Figure that out. I was so thin in junior high school, I couldn't go out for the football team because I didn't weigh enough. It was a 100-pound team. I didn't weigh 100 pounds. I went out for wrestling. They didn't have a weight class low enough for me. So I wrestled people that were over my weight. <laughs> I didn't have a weight problem. But I came to that age, and my dad told me, he warned me about, and I began to notice that my waist went from a 30-inch waist to a 31-inch waist to a 32-inch waist, and I got concerned. Now, I wasn't running cross-country then. I was going to Raymond, and, and things were, were in the schedule. I wasn't able to, to do some of the, the stuff. But uh, I became focused on, no, we're not going to end it. And we didn't. And we we uh, veered it back down again. Most of the time I'm running more so than I'm, I'm not. And you don't have to really be all that, that concerned about it. But they'll tell you what a perfect weight is. Now, depending upon your bone structure, that'll change your weight. They won't always take that into consideration. But where is your body comfortable? My body is comfortable at this weight. Some people would say, and some doctors have told me, you're too light. You need to pick up some more weight. It's not healthy. How many people have been telling you, you're too heavy? Now, you might be, but listen to your spirit. Listen to your, is, is your spirit telling you, you're too heavy? If your spirit is telling you you're too heavy, do something about it. But don't conform to people in the world telling you that they ought to be this way, that way, or the other way. Don't, don't be doing that. Listen to your spirit. Go to God. God will tell you. He'll tell you what to eat, what not to eat. He'll tell you if you should gain weight, if you should lose weight. He'll tell you if you get more sleep, get less sleep. He'll tell you all that stuff because he's concerned about your body. <laughs> so just, just understand. Your, your flesh can get you in trouble. Don't listen to your flesh. Listen to your spirit. Your flesh, you can train it. You can get it to, get it to go. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I discipline my body. How is it that it's saying that you come after the flesh? You discipline it. You bring it under. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you he made alive, you who are dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also... We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So this is the third area. It's your flesh. If you attack the flesh the way you attack the world system or the way that you attack the, the, the enemy, Satan's kingdom, you will lose. You will not even stand a candle to the thing. 
Now, we don't probably have anybody in here professional firefighter or no professional firefighters? Know anything about it? If you know anything about firefighting, there are some fires that you spray water on. There are some fires that if you spray water on them, you will make them worse. And those ones have certain chemicals that you have to do. Fire extinguisher is not water. It's a different type of a, of a chemical that you would use, but that's not necessarily good for all fires. There's one kind of uh, chemical that you use if it's a, a tanker truck that's going on down the road. That's a different type of one. There's also one that, uh, depending upon what that tanker truck is carrying. Not everything puts it out. You've got to make sure you attack it with the right thing. So here's the substance. Temptation and wrong desire is the substance of this third area, the flesh. So we've got three areas. Satan's kingdom, the world system, and our flesh. Here's your defense. Against Satan, we already talked about it. We submit and resist and he will flee. Submit and resist and he will flee. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's how you face the enemy. Our defense comes from being in him. Your defense from the enemy comes from being in him. Now, here's the second one. We've already talked to a number about the submit and resist, not spending a whole lot of time there. But here's the other one, the world system. How do you fight against the world's system? Well, first off, know the word. You've got to know the word. You've got to hold to the word, to the word because what, what the world is trying to do is to pressure you off the word. It's trying to move you off the word. It's trying to get you to stop believing the Word, to quit the Word. This is what it's trying to do. So you've got to know the Word, and you've got to hold to the Word. If you know something that somebody said about the Word, but it's not actually in the Word, it's not going to help you. You've got to know the Word. The only thing that will help you here is the Word that you know. Now, what attracts the attention of the world. Persecution and tribulation arises because of the word. The more words you bring in, the better you are to defend and the more the world will come against you. Doesn't that sound fun? The more words you know, the more the world is going to come against you. But if you hold to what you know, it won't win. Daniel, why did people target him? Because of the word that was in him. But he held to it. And he was delivered from a lion's den. His three buddies. Why did people pressure them? Because of the word that was in them. And because they held to it. But they continued to hold to it. And what happened? They were delivered. How many times can we go through this in the word of God? Where people who held on to the word faced the, the, uh, the world system coming against them, but they won as long as they didn't let go. But there's also people who let go. Jeroboam, if you've been out here on the um, Wednesday nights, we talked about him. He's a person that pressure came in and he let go. And there are other people in the Word of God who did this. The pressure comes in and they let go. And that's not a good picture. Know the Word, hold to the Word, don't seek the world's approval. Get this in your mind. The world will not like me. If the world likes you, 
something is wrong. I'm not saying that they're at peace with you. I'm saying if the world likes you, could be something wrong here. Because the world doesn't like the word. Doesn't like the well, I don't want to talk about this because I make people mad. Yeah. Yes, you do. Don't seek the world's approval. It may come, but don't seek it. If it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But all that has to happen is that you start to seek the approval of the world, those folks in the world system around you, and oh, I'll tell you what, then it's bad. Don't seek the world's approval or its blessings. The riches, the things of the world, don't seek it. Our defense, before the defense came from being in Him, our defense comes from the Word. Your defense against the world is the Word. It is the world, the, the Word. Now, you remember when Satan came and tempted Jesus? Now, he was submitted to God. He resisted the devil. What else did he do? He spoke the word. Why did he also speak the word when he was confronting the enemy then? It was simple. Satan was coming at him with the world's system. You want, you want all the powers of this world? I'll give it to you. Right? See, sometimes an attack can be mixed. It's where you have to submit and resist and throw the word out there. We need both. And Jesus put both out there. Because the world system was coming against him as well. All right. Our defense here is the word. Here's the third one, our, against our flesh. How do we defend against our flesh? First off, bring it into subjection to your spirit. That's what Paul talked about in that first verse we, we looked at for this. Discipline your body. Bring your body under. Is what. Can you pull that verse back up for us, Ms. Ethel? First one under flesh. Bring it into subjection to your spirit. You've got to take your flesh and bring it into subjection to your spirit. You have a spirit. Brother Hagin used to say it this way. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. You've got to take that flesh nature that you've got, you got and put it in subjection to your spirit because you are a spirit being. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I discipline my body. The way that you combat the flesh is not quoting the Word. It's not submitting to God. It's good to submit to God. I'm not saying don't, don't, don't quit that. But that's not how you battle your flesh. When you are submitted to God and you resist your flesh, what does it do? Nothing. It's the enemy that does that. How does your flesh come in to, to, to um, obedience here? You discipline it. You tell your body what it will do. Body, you are not going to eat that. You are not going to buy the cheesecake. We are not bringing the cheesecake home. What's your, what's your body say? What's your flesh say? Please. Please, can we take the cheesecake home? We know how good the cheesecake is. You've had a rough week. You need this. Just think of being able to sit at home 
with a cup of tea or coffee or whatever and having that nice slice of cheese, just a little slice, just buy the pie and just cut a little slice. Just have a little bit of a slice and just enjoy it. And what happens, you get on home with the cheesecake and you cut the little slice of pie and you have that, what's your flesh say? That was so good. I bet you another one would be just as good. I bet you it'd be even better. Why don't we make it a little bigger this time? And before long, what happens to that cheesecake? It is gone. <laughs> it is gone. And you go to God, God, what happened? I don't understand. <laughs> because you've got to bring that body into subjection. You've got to discipline it. God does not do it for you. How many of y'all want to say, oh, God, just help me with this diet? I want so much to lose weight. I want so much to bring my body into, into this place. God, just help me. You know what most of us mean when we say that? God, do it for me. Do it for me. Maybe you have been on this, this place before. Have you ever had somebody come over and say, can you come over and help me? Whatever. Yeah, sure, I'll come over and help you. And you come on over and they sit down and watch you. No, that's not helping. That's come over and do it for me. You didn't ask me to come over and do it. You asked me to come over and help, which means you have to do something. The Holy Spirit is there to help us in our weakness. He is not there to do it for you. Here's the thing, though, folks. You are fully equipped right now to battle your flesh. Fully equipped to battle your flesh. You just don't do it because you don't want to. What's Paul say again? But I, who? I discipline my body. Now, get that verse down because it's not your call to go discipline someone else's body. Because it's a whole lot easier to go and discipline your neighbor's body and tell them all the things they should and shouldn't do. <laughs> Isn't that right? No, but I discipline my body. I discipline my body. What are you doing? What are you doing? Well, I think I ought to... And it comes up in your spirit. How many have had something come up in your spirit? I need to get out and I need to exercise. I'm going to get out and every day I'm going to exercise 20 minutes. And, that's what, and then somebody else comes along and they say, Well, I'm exercising an hour. Oh. I guess I ought to be doing an hour too. But it came up in your spirit what? 20 minutes. Why are you letting somebody else steer you in a different direction? I discipline my body. You do what God told you to do. Not what God so told someone else to do. Now God may be building you up to an hour. Maybe building you up to 30 minutes. Maybe building you up whatever. But you've got to get started where you are and you've got to discipline your body. Which means every day you pick up that body and you get it going. There's a whole lot to learn here. Remember back in the, the uh, salt meetings we were doing this? We were getting on you. How long we get on you for this? There's a reason for it. Because what you did there is going to reap dividends in what we're going to be getting into here. Haven't got into it yet, but we will be. You need to get the benefit of those lessons that you taught yourself. I discipline my body. I discipline my body. You've got to get in there and discipline your body. If you have been under conviction to eat better, then you go ahead. I run into people all the time who are under conviction to eat more vegetables. 
And they try and pass that off on me. If you try it, you know I laugh at you. I have absolutely no conviction to do what you think I ought to do. I have every conviction to do what God tells me to do. What is God telling you to do? Things will come up. Things will happen. What are you going to do about it? You need to get to God and say, God, my body has been giving me trouble here. What can I do about it? And listen to God. Listen to God. God will come up on the inside. If God says to me, Steve, eat more vegetables, I will eat more vegetables. I will. If you tell me, Steve, eat more vegetables, I'll laugh at you. Now, I know I give the impression that I don't eat any vegetables at all. That is not true. There's at least five of them I eat. I can name them all for you, too. Don't, my, my daughter's all the time trying to... They make asparagus. Everybody in my family, I think, likes it. You like asparagus? Okay. Two of us are on the same wavelength anyway. The rest of them, they all like asparagus. My son likes asparagus. My daughter likes asparagus. Lucy doesn't like asparagus, does she? No, I saw her spit that out the other day. She's a good, good girl. That's her. They all love it. I can't stand this stuff. Oh, it is bitter. It is awful. I don't care what health benefits there are to eating asparagus. I'm not going to eat asparagus. Now, if God comes down to me and says, Steve, you need to eat asparagus, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to discipline my body. I'm going to bring my body under and I'm going to eat asparagus. If you come to me and say, it'd be a real good idea for you to eat asparagus, you know what I'm going to say? <laughs> See you later. I'm not going to do it. You've got to learn to listen to your spirit. It is your spirit that is in charge of your flesh, not someone else's. Not someone else's. Now, you can go back as many years as you want to. I'll guarantee you, you have never heard me condemn your diet, your food choices, or the things that you picked. I won't do it. If you come and ask me, why do you do this? I'll tell you. But I won't condemn you for yours. I trust that you're going to hear from God, that you're going to pursue God, and that God's going to tell you what to do. You probably don't like some of my... my, my before when we were in college, we used to drink eggs. A lot of them. Most people don't like to drink eggs. I don't blame you. They're not the, the, the best of things, but it was okay. We, we went in there and we, we got it done. But uh, you've never had to eat that many calories in a day. I thank God I don't have to eat that many calories anymore. That was tough. It was not, not good. But you've got to listen. You discipline your body. Now, there's some parts of it that I excel in, and there's some parts I need to get uh, uh, more of a handle on. And you'll probably find out with yours as well. There's some areas that you, that you do very, very well. In some places, well, I've got, I got some work to do on this thing over here. Well, all right, know which areas you've got to work on and work on them and know which areas are strong and function in those strengths. Know your strengths. Function in those strengths. But bring your body under. Submit and resist will not help you in your battles with the flesh. And as long as you keep giving in and the devil, or the, the, the overall scheme, you fall victim to losing the word because of your flesh, the devil's satisfied. Three ways the Word of God told us we can lose the Word. One, from the enemy. Two, from the world system. And three, from your flesh. Three places. You need to defend against those areas. You need to have a strong defense for each one because each one is different. Each one 
requires different kinds of things that you need to do and that you need to be good in. All right, did we cover everything in there? You bring it into subjection to your spirit. It comes from being disciplined and in authority. You need to have that authority over your flesh. Don't let your flesh take authority over you. It's just as bad as people who let their dogs take authority over them. You ever seen that? Over there in the Walmart. And the kids take authority over the, bon- the mom and dad. You seen that? It's wrong. That's, that's, that's not right. But your flesh shouldn't be taking authority over you either. Our defense comes from our discipline and training. There is different discipline and training. All right, now let's get into the meat of this story here. We've got enough time to get there. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, he put this, this question up there on Facebook. I appreciate the folks that uh, got up there and, uh, and threw some, some stuff out there. Mostly what I wanted you to do is I want you to be thinking. I want you to be thinking about this. It's not that there's just a, a, a set answer. But I, I want you to think, why is Jesus going over to the other side? And if you read the whole story, and we read the whole story in 4 and 5, it is really interesting. Now, when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right, now this story has a whole lot of spiritual aspects as well as what you see on the surface. When the disciples are in the boat, if you compare, I gave you the reference for all three versions of the story. And each one brings out a few of the details, but they're all in the same line. If you look at the other versions of the story, you're going to see that the disciples were bailing out the boat. They were battling the waves. The waves were beating into the boat and they were bailing the water out. But as fast as they could bail the water out, the water was coming back in. And they'd bail more out and more was coming back in. So much so that there was more water in the boat despite their efforts. And the boat was going down. Because that's what boats do when they take water in. What were the disciples battling? They were battling the waves. But the waves were not the problem. The problem was the wind. The word, the word says a wind came up, a terrible tempest came up and stirred up the waves. You cannot stop waves coming if the wind continues. The wind is the spiritual forces behind it. It's actually a satanic force and representative in this story. We're not spending a whole lot of time in this part of it, but it's a satanic force that comes against this particular uh, setting. As it comes, it stirs up the waves. In the Word of God, the sea always refers to the world's system. The wind represents things in the spirit realm. But the sea always represents the world system. In the book of Revelation, where do the beasts come from? The sea. They come out of the world's system. It's very very symbolic, but it's always the same in that. They were battling the waves, something in the world's system. If if we're just looking from the parable that Jesus gave us, 
How do you battle the world system? Through the Word. The Word, you've got to know the Word, you've got to hold on to the Word. Well, they came in and they had doubts about that. So the waves came in and affected their faith, affected their doubts, and Jesus spoke to that in the end. Where is your faith? And if, why, do, why are you doubting? He, may, he might say in some places. But what they ended up doing was fighting the water that came in with buckets and bailing out the boat, which would be representative of their flesh. They are basically, this is what a lot of Christians do, we are taking a battle that originated in the spirit, is giving us problems in the world system, and we're fighting it with our flesh. And they failed and they could have died. Now that's the story. We could spend a whole lot more time and have a lot more. We've done it in the past. But anyway, I just want to give you that, that little rundown before we get into this. Verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Now here's the thing. Did you remember, did you see that note? That they got into the boat and there's a lot of little boats with them. We never hear about the little boats again. What happened to the little boats? Go back on up and then let's take a look at that. So let us cross over to the other side. Verse 36. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. It doesn't say other little boats were on the sea. It says what? They were with him, which would seem to indicate that people from the multitude got in their own boats to follow Jesus across the sea. But we don't hear that they ever got there. It makes mention of them in the story. But we don't hear about them after that. Where do you think they went? If it calls them little boats, then they are in a bigger boat. And their bigger boats were having a trouble with the waves. What about the little boats? They probably went down, which means people died. People died in this, in this story. Because Jesus is going over to the other side. So think about that. When he says, let's go over to the other side... People died. Jesus didn't kill them. But people died. So then they came to the side of the sea, country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. How long was it until Jesus got there until this man met him? It's immediate, right? Immediate. Is it important that the Word of God says immediately? Sure would seem to be. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. These demon spirits came upon him with such force he could shatter metal. How many of y'all know? People know about this man. He is well known. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains. And then the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Now, here I'm just doing some conjecture and just some thinking. If Jesus is on one side of the sea, and this man is on the other side of the sea, is it possible that his shouting and his crying could be heard? Because he's right on the edge of the sea, and Jesus is right on the edge of the sea. Just in two different places. Is it possible that it could be heard? It's possible. But if not, at least the people that are around there, 
since they're close by, they may have mentioned to Jesus about this, or somehow Jesus may have come into contact that this was the biggest, the baddest case of someone being possessed. And as he was going around casting out demon spirits from a people, people, they would say, well, what about when someone is possessed like this? You think someone would have asked him that question? Whatever it was, we'll go on. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. You don't just come and, run and worship somebody who lands on the sea. He knows who Jesus is. Now, if you are possessed with this many demon spirits, why would you come and worship Jesus? Well, if you've ever been around someone who's possessed, the possessed spirits of a person, they don't take over them all the time. There are some times that they're in the right mind. And then sometimes the spirits come upon them. The one man who had the son, he said the spirit gets hold of him sometime, throws him about, throws him into the fire. He doesn't do that all the time. But they would come upon him at certain times and they would, they would do this. So there are times he was in his right mind, but then these spirits would just kind of take over and he'd begin to do some things. It would seem, because demon spirits are going to come and worship him, it would seem that for a moment he was in his right mind and while he was there, he ran to Jesus knowing in his right mind, knowing who Jesus was, came over and worshipped him. And then the spirits knew what was going on and they took over. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. If the spirits didn't want Jesus to torment him, why did they just stay away? If the spirits don't want Jesus to torment them, why would they come to the feet of Jesus? You see, you've got two different wills going on here. You've got the will of the person who's possessed who brought him to Jesus' feet and then the will of the person who's possessed or the, the, the possessing spirits. And they cry out. For he had said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. He kept saying according to the Greek. He kept saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, many people have come out of this doctrine that says in order to cast out a demon, you have to have the name. He was already saying before this, Come out of him without the name. And then he asked him what his name was. You do not need to know the name of the demon spirit to cast him out. And beside that, if the demon told you his name, what's to say he's not lying? Why not? I mean, if you needed the person's name in order to cast out, he'd give you a false name. You don't need their name to cast it out. Nowhere in the Word of God does it say, Thou shalt know its name and cast it out. Nor do we have Jesus ever doing that. He doesn't even say here, Legion, come out. He just said, What is your name? For whatever reason, Jesus wanted to know his name. We found, this is the only way we found out how many were in him. Because of the name. My name is Legion, for we are many. Now up to this point in the Word of God, we're not going to take time on it now, but we could spend time on it, and we have in the past, we looked at demons who have stepped out of the realm they're supposed to be in, who have overstepped their boundaries. And when they had overstepped their boundaries, they were locked up and they were put into a special place called Tartaros. It is a special place. People are not in Tartaros. Demon spirits are. And they were put into there. Some fallen angels... Some things, people that had stepped beyond their, their, their bound, what they were allowed to do on this earth, were locked up. These guys might have this question. Have we overdone it? Have we put too many demon spirits into one person? And is Jesus going to judge us for that? 
Have you come to torment us before the time? Have you come to put us in a place and torment us before it is time for us to be in that place? My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. How many times did they try to deal with this guy? And they couldn't deal with him. They couldn't do anything about it. So they just were going to leave it alone and hoped he didn't come and bother them. And now they come in here and Jesus has done something with it. And they're afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him, who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And they began to plead with him to depart from their region. In other words... We can't handle this stuff. You need to go. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. All right. So here's the question we put up on, on Facebook here this morning. Or was it yesterday? Was it yesterday? Here's the question we put up there. Why did Jesus cross the sea? Now, of course, the easiest answer is to get to the other side. I understand that's the easiest answer. And, you know, I was tempted to tie something in there with the chickens and all that sort of stuff, but I didn't do it. I just wanted to get you thinking about this. Why did Jesus cross the sea? Because what he does is he gets in the boat, he goes across the sea, he encounters this demon, he casts the demon out. The people say, this is too much for us. You need to go. He gets back in the boat and he leaves. Why does Jesus cross the sea? He crossed the sea for one purpose and that is to free this one man. That's it. Now, a lot of times, God has done a wonderful miracle. Lester Stonemaier will talk about people. He'd gone into the Philippines or different places and cast out national known cases of demon possession who did stuff that would make your hair stand on end. One boy would become completely invisible and could leave a locked room and go to another part of the island. One, uh, one gal was uh, bitten and other things by demon spirits. Locked her in a room by herself and bite marks would show up on her. Known cases. And Lester Summerall was called in and he cast those demons out of those people. The papers had it. The country was changed because of the result of that. They accepted the, the gospel. They, they accepted the things that were going on. It was great things. But it doesn't happen here with Jesus. They all don't open themselves up to receive the things of Jesus. They say, man, get out of here. We can't, we can't handle this. So here's the thing. This is, and the more you think about this, this is what you get. Jesus, after ministering to so many people, he's tired, ministers to all these people, gets, a, gets an assignment. I want you to go over the sea and I want you to take care of that demonic person. Isn't that an assignment from God? Because he comes down and he says, what? Let us go to the other side. So much, this is a spiritual assignment. 
that the forces of Satan stir up the wind and a spiritual battle ensues to take Jesus and his 13 disciples down. Not just because it's Jesus and the 13 disciples. They apparently want to particularly stop this. Because how many times have they they've been on the sea and did not have this kind of a battle? But they encounter it on their way here. There was no sign of a storm. Because you've got at least three fishermen on the boat. And none of them recognized a storm was coming. Now it is very much in this area. The winds would come down from the mountains. And storms could come up very quickly on it. It, it is something that is known. But if anyone is going to pick up any type of a sign, it's going to be the fishermen. But they have fished this sea. They have been on this sea. They know this sea. And they are scared. They are scared. And little boats don't make the trip. People in little boats died. And Jesus came close to being killed. And along with his 12 disciples. 13 people came close to being killed on this assignment. Now, if you were Jesus, I don't know how much Jesus knew was going to be facing them, but if you knew that a spiritual battle was going to commence on the sea to get you to the other side, when you got to the other side, people were not going to receive your message. They're going to ask you to leave and you're going to get back in the boat and go someplace else. How many of you are going to say, I don't know about this. I don't know about this assignment. But Jesus takes the assignment and he goes to the other side and they do not receive it. Now, in this same story, the man who was freed, what's he want to do? Can I go with you? I would like to go with you. And Jesus says, no. I want you to stay here and I want you to go around the region that's here. And I want you to tell your friends, your family, can you imagine that he's still his friends? Think about this. This guy can't even, you can't even lock him up with chains. Can you imagine he has friends? If you were a friend of his and he showed up at your door, what are you doing? Don't answer the door. Don't answer that door. It's so and so. Barricade that door. We do not want him getting in here. <laughs> and what's he do? He takes the assignment and says he went around the cities that were in the, in the region there. He took the assignment seriously. He could have said, oh, I've, been out of, I've been out of society for a while. I really need to get plugged back in. I've got to get my job back. I've got to you know, see what's going on with my house. Uh, I've I got to do some things to, to earn some money. Uh, he didn't do that. Jesus said, no, go and go in the circuit and tell people. So they kicked out Jesus. But here's what the assignment brought up. We got in there. We took one of Satan's most powerful forces to testify the power of his kingdom, neutralized it, and turned him into an evangelist. And he went to places that would not receive Jesus. Isn't that something? Yeah, but that wasn't easy. There were some, there were some people who died as a result of this. Now, they probably weren't listening. Jesus didn't tell them to go to the other side. He said to his disciples... What did he say to him? Let us. That didn't mean anybody else. He said, let us go to the other side. What should everybody else done? Stayed home. Or at least go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, can we go? He probably would have said, I wouldn't if I were you. <laughs> let us go over to the other side. And he went ahead and did that. 
Sometimes God will give you assignments that are not easy and that are not fun and that might even endanger your life. Are you one who will take it? Are you one who will battle? In that assignment, you may face enemies from Satan's kingdom. You may face enemies from the world system. And you may face problems with your flesh. And you need to know how to battle each one so that you can win. Because if Jesus did not know how to fight the enemy, if Jesus did not know how to fight the world system, if Jesus didn't know how to fight the flesh, that boat probably would have been on the bottom of the sea. But he knew how to do it. Do you know how to recognize where the battle that you're involved with, where the battle came from? Are you able to then defend against it? Because it's not all submission and resistance. But when God gives you an assignment, like he did here, will you take it on? Will you take on that assignment? Will you do it like God wants you to do it? Or will you do it like you want to do it? Will you be like the man who has had all the demons? And God says, I know you want to come with me, but I need to send you over here. Will you be one who says, okay, we'll do that. I'll put this in your outline here for you. If victory is eluding us, is it that we have not correctly identified the source of our battle? and or possibly have not deployed the right defense. When we fail in these battles, it causes us to have problems in our area of submission because we think God should have done this. If God is not doing this, why should I submit to him? And that causes us to spiral downward. Understand where your battle is. Understand what you face. And when God gives you an assignment, just because he gave you the assignment doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You may face a storm on your sea. You may face waves coming into your boat. And you may face 12 people filled with doubt and unbelief scurrying around you, telling you we're going to die. But that's no excuse to fail. It's no excuse to give in. We need to stand out. Folks, a lot of times we are looking at the things that we go through, do I really have to be there at 10 o'clock? What's, what's the difference if I'm not there at 9.30? Is anyone really going to miss me? I mean, what's five minutes? What if, do I really have to bring my Bible? Do I really have to take notes? Do I really have to worship God? I'm just not in the wor- mood to worship God today. I'd rather just sit there and let everybody else worship God. Do I really have to? You can come up with all kinds of reasons. But folks, right now, in your life, you are facing battles from the enemy's kingdom. You are facing battles from the world system. And you are facing battles from your flesh. You need to identify each one. Fight them correctly. Because God has equipped you to win. He's taught you how to do it. Go back over the parable of the sower and see the three different areas where battles come from. Remember that story we gave you last week? Brother Hagin's story? 
people are trying to accomplish through prayer things that only my word will do. Hmm. Make sure you use the right tools, the, the right weapons, and come after the enemy in the right way. There are sometimes we get upset with people that are around us. We haven't understood. There's something stirring them up. Speak to the thing that's stirring them up. Deal with that first. Then we can move on to the waves. What is stirring them up? You're at work. There's a force that's there to stir it up. Speak to that force that stirs it up. Don't just deal with the waves. Don't just deal with your flesh. God wants you to have the victory. He wants to be able to give you assignments and he wants to know that when he gives you the assignment, you will complete it. You will finish it no matter what the dangers, no matter what's ahead. But when God's looking around for people who can do that, he first off wants to find people who have been good and faithful with the things he doesn't consider to be valuable. After that, all right, You've shown yourself to be good with these things. Now, here are some things that I really consider to be valuable. Here are some assignments I really need you to do. I want to be in a place where God can call on me and say, Steve, I've got an assignment for you. I need you to go across the sea. I need you to deal with this problem no one else wants to deal with. You're going to face some danger on the way because the kingdom of Satan doesn't want to let it go. And I need you to stand up to the battle. Are you ready? Just stand up. Father, I thank you that you have called us, equipped us, made us ready. We give you the praise and the glory. For we know that there is no battle on earth that we will face that you have not given us the victory for. Help us, Father, to discern in each thing where the trouble is coming from and to take the right weapon and point it at our enemy, point it at the world, point it at our flesh. And Father, I thank you that we can win. With every head bowed, if you're here today and you are facing the battle that you didn't have properly identified before, but now the Spirit of God has spoken to you, showed you some things about that battle, and you see, oh, this battle is rooted here. How many? Raise your hand up. All right, we've got a few of them. Father God, you see the hands that have gone up, people that are facing the battle, people that are facing this thing. I thank you, Father, for the word of God that's rising up on the inside of them right now. The confidence that they are victors. The wherewithal, Father, to stick with it, to not give in. The enemy will come after them with everything that they can. The world will come after them with everything that they can. And their flesh will rise up and try and get us to doubt Father, you don't have to give in. You've given us weapons for each of these areas. Weapons that bring about victory. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Here's your assignment. You had a battle, and you've now got it located. You didn't have it quite as located before, but now you've got it located. And you're going to face, face it with the right weapon. And believe me, you put the right weapon to work. It won't take long. How long did it take Jesus to calm the storm? <laughs> How long did it take him to take care of the demoniac? It's not long. 
It doesn't take long to take care of the problem when you do the right thing. It will, it will go away. We want to see some praise reports on, on what's going on and uh, tell us what's, what was going on. Because we expect there to be victory in the battles that you're facing where the, before there wasn't. We have some praise reports. If you didn't get your praise report in, raise your hand up or ushers will bring you over a praise some report, something to write it on. Okay, Susan. Oh, that's really hot. Um, <clears throat> Susan said, "Praise the Lord for an unexpected check this week, um, and for an order for parts." She said she had some expenses come up, and this unexpected money covers them. So praise God for that. Um, Bruce says, "I'm now working closer to home after being transferred to the Burlington Bristol Bridge." He says, "Thank you all for your prayers, as mine was answered." Amen. Nice to work closer to home. There's a lot of time there. Phyllis says, praise God for the for Pastor and the Holy Spirit. She says, the submission lessons came in handy immediately at work as some people became disgruntled and began to cause a ruckus. So I was able to find a way to defuse it. And Candy praises God for all of Bobby's reports coming back. Um, and good, uh, everything came back positive, excellent. His uh, white and red blood cells are all well within range and are very good. Um, he's doing well, and I thank God for his healing power and for all of your prayers. Amen. 